Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 119th program in this series. I'm presently in the beginning of John chapter 19. What has happened is that the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, they have taken Jesus by force to the Roman compound, and they have demanded that Jesus be crucified, but they have given no reason as to why he should be crucified to the Romans. And so Pilate goes back and forth to ask Jesus some questions, ask them some questions. What has this guy done? Jesus has done nothing, absolutely nothing, to justify him being forcibly taken to the Roman compound, and he has done nothing that would justify his execution. Now, he has conducted his ministry for several years, and throughout his ministry, he said a number of things that made these religious people feel uncomfortable. He did that, but he was telling the truth. He was telling things the way that things really were. He was not being dishonest. He was being very direct and open about everything that he had to say, but the religious leaders did not want Jesus to go around saying these things. They were also very concerned about the people following after him if they did and there was a decision made that he should be asserted as the messianic king, then there was a concern that the Romans would come in and they would destroy the nation reorganize the society in a way that these religious leaders would no longer be the leaders of the community, of the people. So there were many reasons why the people who forcibly took Jesus to the Roman compound, there were many reasons why they were angry with Jesus, why they wanted him to die, but these are not legitimate reasons. These are not reasons for a person to be harmed or forcibly taken anywhere. But they had the power and the ability to seize a person and to move them around in this way, and so they were misusing and abusing the power that they had. Now, Pilate recognized that Jesus had done nothing wrong. This was obvious. It was obvious because nobody would bring an accusation against him. So what he did was he beat Jesus up. He beat him up, He whipped him, scourged him in a sense, ripped his flesh apart. They put thorns into his head. I mean, they practically tortured the guy. This is what the Romans did. And then they brought him out to display him to the people, in effect, to show that Jesus has definitely suffered greatly. And again, for no reason. Will the people be satisfied with this kind of torture abuse, beatings. He's not dead, but will they be satisfied that this was done to him? 
could they perhaps consider that maybe he'll stop doing what he was doing that made them feel uncomfortable? Because if he does, then maybe they'll take him by force again to the Romans and they'll do this to him again. Maybe that could be something that they would consider. Would they accept this as a way of being satisfied that they hurt an innocent man? That they got this innocent person, a person who really has done nothing to justify anything like this. Will they be satisfied that they succeeded in causing harm to someone who certainly did not deserve the magnitude of this kind of harm? Would they be satisfied with that? Would they consider this to be adequate revenge? And the response was, no, we want him to die. He said things that made us feel bad, and so he should be put to death. That's who these people are. Now, as I explained in the previous program, this is not some kind of Jewish thing. There are lots of people in the world who are like this. I have personally known several people who are like this, who when I have said things that made them feel bad or feel uncomfortable, it didn't matter that what I said was true. What mattered was that their feelings were hurt. And they did everything they could possibly do, everything that they could imagine and create in their own little fantasies, in order to cause me as much harm as they possibly could. And if they had the opportunity to put me to death or have me killed, would they take it? Oh, yes, absolutely. I have personally known people like this in this day and age. They're certainly not Jewish. This is not some kind of Jewish thing. This is just the way people really are. And given the right circumstances or the right opportunities, people who you think would never do anything like this absolutely would. And so this is the situation. Beginning in John chapter 19, verse 6, it says, Therefore the chief priests and officers saw him. They cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Now, if they do, if they do take Jesus and crucify him, then they are going to be guilty of violating Roman law because they don't have the authority to do this. Pilate was not giving them the authority. He was just saying this in response to their attitude. If they really think that it's that important, then they can go ahead and try to do it themselves. He doesn't see that. But, of course, if they do, they will be punished accordingly. And so they don't do it. They can tell that they're not being given permission to go and murder this guy. Otherwise, I'm confident that they would do it. Unless, of course, they are also wanting the Romans to be responsible for the death. You see, if they do follow through with what they think needs to be done and they execute Jesus, if they do that, then they have executed an innocent man. And they know it. They know he doesn't deserve this. But if the Romans do it, well, then they can just say it's the fault of the Romans, that they were the ultimate decision makers when it came to this, and they decided to execute Jesus. Never mind that these people wanted the Romans to do that. That doesn't really matter. What matters is who actually does it. So that's another thing to take into consideration. But moving forward into verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law 
and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now, I explained at the end of the previous message that Jesus did not commit blasphemy to the extent that would justify his execution. He did declare that he was God, and that, of course, is true. He is God manifested in the flesh. But what he also did was he acknowledged the existence and the authority of the living God, and he referred to him as the Heavenly Father. So when he asserted himself as God manifested in the flesh, he did so in a way that he was not taking the place of the God of Israel in that sense. Therefore, he did not really commit blasphemy, not according to the definition of declaring yourself to be God in the sense that there is no other God besides you. Jesus was obviously not saying that there were many gods. He was just simply declaring that the true and living God is who he is, just like everybody would acknowledge him, and that he also was a manifestation of the living God. So it is a subtlety, and it is considered to be a technicality. But nonetheless, he still did not violate the law of blasphemy according to the Mosaic law, according to the way that the law is defined that would justify an execution. Now, something that we also need to keep in mind is that in this time in history, the Romans had the authority over the region such that they did not allow the religious leaders, to put anyone to death. So it is quite convenient that God decided to come at a time when the leadership could not put him to death for claiming to be God. That is quite convenient, and I think it is definitely his design and his intention. I believe it was his intention that he would arrive at this time in history when the Romans were in power over the region because of all the civil conflict that was taking place with the Hasmoneans after the Maccabean Wars. But in this program, what I would like to emphasize in verse 7 is that he declared himself to be a religious guy, that this is a guy who lives for righteousness. He wants to be right with God. He wants to be a good person. He is someone who the religious leaders do not like. And it was well understood and recognized that the religious leaders of this time were very corrupt. And considering the magnitude of the corruption, if they don't like some other religious guy who is asserting righteousness, goodness, truth, oh yes, and I'm confident that Pilate would also know that this guy has raised the dead and performed many healings and many other miracles that would give the indication that he really is a good man who God is endorsing. If this is the case, well, then Pilate has got a really good man on his hands. Not only does he have someone who is innocent, but he's also a godly man. And so in verse 8, therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, He was more afraid. He was already afraid to a certain extent because he did not want to execute an innocent man. But now he's got a reason to be even more afraid because not only is Jesus innocent, he has done nothing that would justify execution. Not only that, but he's also a religious guy. He's a holy guy. 
He's a guy that these other corrupt religious people don't like, and he is well-liked by the people. He has an exceptional reputation. It was only a few days prior that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and it caused such an uproar in the region that, of course, Pilate would hear about what was taking place, and he would also know that there was no rebellion, there was no sedition. This guy told him personally that he is not a king of this land, of this region. Jesus told him that he's not there to overthrow the Romans. He's not there in order to engage in sedition. So for these reasons, Pilate can definitely be afraid. But when you add on top of that, the fact that Jesus is a good man, he's a holy man, he's a religious man, and many of the people really do like him, these reasons would make Pilate feel a little bit more afraid about the situation at hand because he does not want to execute someone who is innocent. If he does, well, then the people who are not speaking on this particular occasion, the other people in the land, they might cause an uprising because Pilate does execute an innocent man. There might be a rebellion just because Pilate crucifies Jesus, who definitely does not deserve it, and he is also a holy man of God who many of the people respect and honor greatly. If he murders Jesus, then he has the risk of an uprising in the land, and this is going to cause even more problems for him than what he has right now. But if he does execute Jesus, well, then he is accountable to Caesar. He is accountable to someone else, and Caesar or other guys who are in positions of authority between Pilate and Caesar, they might come and question Pilate and find out that Pilate executed an innocent guy. And if that is discovered, well, this could cause some serious problems for Pilate from Caesar. So Pilate is caught in the middle between the religious leaders, the regular people in the land, and Caesar. And he has to make a decision to settle this conflict. So in verse 9, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So he goes back and he speaks with Jesus and he asks him, So where are you from? Now Pilate knows where he's from. He may not know specifically what city or town necessarily. But to ask a question like this does not give the indication that he's really holding a trial. Instead, what he's doing is he is trying to open a general, polite conversation with Jesus. Obviously, he's not having any constructive communication with the people out there, with those crazy people outside who are just demanding that this guy be murdered. So he goes back inside, and he sits down with Jesus, hoping to have a pleasant, constructive conversation with this guy and opens up the opportunity for conversation with just a simple, casual question of, where are you from? And of course, this kind of a question has no real relevance whatsoever. 
unless you want to consider that Jesus said that he was a king of another land or his kingdom was not from here. And so Pilate could be asking him about his kingdom, about where are you from? Really? I mean, if you're a king and you say you have a kingdom and it's not from around here, well, then where is it? But again, as I have explained previously, wherever it is, it has no relevance at all. If he is a king who is visiting from out of town, these things have no relevance whatsoever. The only thing that matters is, is Jesus observing Roman law or not? Is he violating the law of the land or is he not? And if he's not, then there's nothing to talk about. So Jesus gave him no answer. There is nothing to say. This kind of question has no relevance. Why answer it? For what? For what reason? Why is he even there at all? Obviously, Jesus is not going to endorse the idea that he has been brought here by force and the Romans have accepted him into their compound by force and he is effectively a prisoner there in their compound. He's not going to speak to Pilate and have some general conversation with him to kind of make him feel better, because obviously he's afraid. You know, maybe he'll make him feel a little bit better because he'll have a nice conversation with him. And in that way, maybe he'll say indirectly that it's okay, that he be there, that he be kept there, like that. But he does not answer. So in verse 10, then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you, and power to release you? Well, of course he does, and he should release Jesus. Why does he want to have a conversation with him? Jesus doesn't want to have a conversation with him. Pilate should use his power and his authority to release him, and release him promptly. But in this case, Jesus answers in verse 11. Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me, unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. All right, now there are two things to address here. First is the idea of the greater sin. And the other thing is the idea of the power that he has. Now, Jesus says that there is power that has been given to him from above. Now, we don't have enough information to know exactly, precisely, what Jesus was intending to convey when he said that. But what we do know, and what I think I can say with great confidence, is just because a person is in a position of power, that does not automatically mean that they have divine endorsement. Just because a person has the ability to exercise force, upon someone else against their willful, voluntary behavior. There are many ways to define power, but in this case, this is a good fit. That Pilate has the ability to exercise force against someone's willful, voluntary behavior. Just because he can do that, that doesn't necessarily mean that this is a divine endorsement, that this means that this is what God wants him to do. It doesn't automatically mean that, and yet there are a lot of people who are able to get into positions of power over somebody else, and they can relate to these people as if God has given them the divine authority and endorsement 
to do whatever he wants and to force people to do whatever he wants them to do. But this is not the case. The way that I believe that God has given power over to Pilate in this context is that God has not intervened. That because in this case, this is something that God wants to see take place in order to accomplish something that he wants to accomplish, God is not going to intervene and he is going to allow Pilate to execute Jesus because there is something greater that God wants to accomplish. But this cannot be extrapolated into other circumstances. This is a unique circumstance with a unique person, Pilate and Jesus. These two unique people in this unique circumstance in order to bring about the new covenant. But Jesus mentions the second thing, which is the idea of a greater sin. To say a greater sin implies that there is a lesser sin taking place, and that's exactly what's happening. Pilate is engaged in sin. He is not releasing Jesus. He needs to release Jesus. By not doing so, he is engaged in sin. And this is not what God wants people to do. He does not want people to engage in sin. But God is not intervening in this case. And I believe that that is what Jesus is implying when he says that you would not have power against me unless it had been given to you from above. And that refers to Jesus personally. It doesn't mean you. It means him. That no one would have authority over him unless it would be allowed by the Heavenly Father. It is being allowed in the sense that he is not intervening, but that doesn't mean that it's okay. It's not okay. It is sin. What Pilate is doing is sin, but the person who forcibly took Jesus to Pilate has committed a greater sin in comparison with what Pilate is doing right now. From then on, in verse 12, from then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So here, the Jews finally give an accusation, the idea that Jesus is a king and that he is in violation of Roman law for sedition. Now Pilate has to respond. But why does he really have to respond? He has to respond because the people have told him that if he does not respond to this accusation that Jesus is a king and that he is involved in sedition, then they are going to tell on Pilate. That's what they say. They say, you are going to murder this man or we will tell Caesar that you're not his friend. This is extortion. Extortion is you will do what we say you are to do, or we will hurt you. Blackmail could be another option for them. If he does not murder Jesus, then they could say, well, now you're going to do some things that we want you to do, because if you do not do these things, well, then we will tell 
Caesar that you are not his friend. But this is extortion. They are extorting Pilate. And this is how Pilate makes his decision. He makes his decision because he is afraid of what could potentially happen to him if he does not give in to the extortion of the religious leaders there in Jerusalem and murder Jesus for no reason. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 119th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 19, verses 8 through 11, and I was explaining the concern that Pilate had when the religious leaders brought Jesus to him and they demanded that he be crucified. They did not give him a reason. They gave him no reason as to why he should be crucified. He questioned Jesus. Jesus identified himself as a king, but as a king from another place and that his servants were not going to be involved in any act of sedition against the Romans. Pilate went back out to the religious leaders and he said that Jesus is apparently a king and they used that information in order to perform extortion against Pilate. What they effectively told him in verse 12 was that if he would not murder Jesus, then they would tell Caesar that he let someone go who was guilty of an act of sedition. So in verse 8, I explained that there were some reasons why Pilate would be afraid. He would be even more afraid when he discovered that Jesus was a religious guy. He was a religious man. But now he will be even more afraid because of the extortion that the religious leaders have decided to use to get Pilate to execute Jesus without a cause. There are four fundamental ways that government gets corrupted. One is by extortion, and this is an example of this. Another is blackmail. The others are bribes and payoffs. But in this case, Jesus is going to be crucified by extortion. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net